Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, just to let you know, Rob's calendar is fully available to look after your children throughout December, so do reach out to him. He's even willing to lay his cycling on the line to look after your kids. His words, not mine. Okay. All right. So um, it is Christmas, almost, and the signs of Christmas are upon us. Dubai is doing its December things. We can see lights are going up. We can see holidays are starting. Thank God the weather is getting better, and we know that Christmas is around the corner. Maybe throughout this time, I wonder what it is that you think about when Christmas is upon us. Maybe you think about shopping for presents. Maybe you're thinking about traveling on holiday. And maybe you think about putting up your Christmas tree, or maybe you did that already in July this year in preparation for this time. I wonder what you think about as we approach Christmas. For me, in the early years of my childhood, I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa. And we would, at the end of the year, whenever December was upon us, we would travel south down to Durban, which is where the beach is. And I would so look forward to this holiday. The whole year I would hope for this moment to come. And my parents thought I was excited for presents or to be with my grandparents. But lo and behold, those things were secondary. The beach was my priority. I just longed to be on the beach throughout December. And then that fateful day would come. I would wake up one morning. And my dad would be packing the car, and I knew we would be leaving. And I would be crying and discouraged the whole morning. And my family thought I was so cute. Oh, he's crying because he misses his grandparents. No, I was so sad to be leaving the beach. That is actually what I longed for throughout the time of Christmas. I grew up in Johannesburg. There was no beach. It's dry land. Where is Jesus? No, I'm just joking. In Durban. Um, but it was in one morning, just like that, what I had hoped for the whole of December, or the whole year, was gone. And we do that. We approach Christmas with so many expectations of what we want it to be, and it's warped into a wrongful expectation of what this time is supposed to be about. We think that all things in our life, relational or materialistic, however bad they are going, we think it will somehow be fine over Christmas. And the morning comes, Christmas goes, life returns to normal, and we find out that our miracle that we were trusting for this Christmas has not come to pass. You see, during Christmas, we're all hoping for something. And where you place your hope is vitally important to your experience of joy. I want to ask you this morning, where have you placed your hope? at Christmas. If it's not in Jesus, you will experience anxiety, disappointment, and anger because anything other than Christ cannot bear the weight of your hope and expectation. But if you put your hope in the right place, if you drop anchor in Jesus, who is unshakable, Romans 10 tells us that those who trust in Him will never be put to shame. And so this morning, as we do Advent this December, Advent means the arrival as we anticipate, as we look towards Christ this Christmas, I am trusting that our hearts are going to have a realigned hope after this morning. And the title of my preach, lo and behold, is The Arrival of Hope. If you can open your Bibles to Galatians 4, 
We're just going to be reading two verses this morning, Galatians 4 and 5. I'll give you a second to open your Bibles. This is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And it's two simple verses, but there's so much in there with regards to Christ. And what Paul is telling the Galatians and us is that God has sent Jesus at the right time in human history. That through God's sovereign oversight, all historical events that needed to take place have happened and Christ has come at the right time. Christ has come at the moment when the world was ready to receive Christ. So the question we've got to ask is, how so? How was the world ready at that time? Why is that the right moment? To understand this text, I want you to open your Bible if you have it with you. Put your phones away, please. No digital Bibles. But if you have your Bible with you, I want you to open to the last page of the Old Testament. And it's basically the first page before the New Testament. I don't see a lot of Bibles being opened. So people, you've got to bring your Bibles to church, man. As we go to the last book of the Old Testament, we see there is a page that is empty from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And usually, I mean, I can imagine this is probably the first time you're touching that page. It might be the first time you've even thought about that page. And generally, we just turn the page and go to the New Testament. But what's significant about this page, you're going to see in a moment how this links to Galatians 4, is that this page represents 400 years. And it represents 400 years where God chose to stop speaking through his prophets. Where God was silent for 400 years. From the book of Malachi to the very first sentence in the New Testament, God was not speaking. And the scholars call this the intertestamental period, but we're just going to call it the 400 years of silence. And you see, although God chose to stop speaking for a time, it doesn't mean that he wasn't busy. He was preparing the world for the coming of Christ. Through these 400 years, a lot happened that is going to help us see what Paul means when he says, when the fullness of time had come, when the right moment came, God sent his son. So I'm going to do a little bit of history with you this morning. And don't worry, I don't like to make things complicated, so this is going to be very brief and to the point. But we're going to look at, in this 400-year period, who was ruling and why does that matter? We're going to look at how did the culture change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we're also going to look at what was the spiritual impact that these 400 years had on God's people. So first up, who, um, who was ruling? Well, it, at the time the book of Malachi ends, Israel was under the power of Persian rule until about 331 B.C. 
And the Persians are key in history because they allowed for the return of Jews to Jerusalem and the building of the temple. But that ends in 331 BC because that's when Greek rule had come into power. Alexander the Great conquers the Persians and he sets up Greek rule until about 165 BC. I'm really flying through this stuff. There's so much more here. But for the sake of your attention, I'm just going to fly through it. And Greek rule came with powerful influence over God's people. Essentially, Greek culture became the culture of the land. And essentially, the most significant impact that the Greek rule had upon God's people is that they brought a language, Greek. Everybody learned Greek and became bilingual. And perhaps the most, the thing that we see is that even when Greek loses control of this area, Greek stays as the language. But the Greeks do eventually lose control, and they lose their ability to lead the people, and there's an overthrow by a priest um, and, and then Judah effectively rules themselves from 165 B.C. until 63 B.C. And this is referred to as the Hasmonean dynasty or the Maccabean revolt that started this and then Judah had basically looked, led themselves for those years. But that also didn't last for too long because eventually the Romans come. In 63 B.C., Rome takes rule of Judah and the Romans rule for a long time till roughly 130 AD. The Romans bring law, they bring judicial systems, they bring peace, and they bring a stable government. And one of the most significant things about Roman rule is that because their empire was so vast from, from Europe to Africa to Asia, they were furious road builders. They connected the entire empire on their roads. And while the Bible doesn't teach about these rulers in this time, we look back at Daniel 7. We're not going to go into it now, but we see it is actually prophesied about the shift and change in these rulers over God's people. But we don't have the time to jump into that. Secondly, we've got to ask, how was the culture influenced in this time? Between the two testaments, the culture changed. What was quite a significant shift when Israel was in exile in Egypt under Greek rule, Ptolemy Philetus, ruler of the region at the time, thought it would be a good idea to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. And what took place over a hundred years is known as the Septuagint. And this would have been the scriptures that the early Christians would have read. These would have been the scriptures that Jesus would have read. And the culture had changed so much that eventually Judah by then was a multicultural city. Roman citizenship, Greek culture and language, strong Hebrew roots in language and also the synagogues. And then thirdly, we look at during this 400-year period, how were they impacted spiritually? Well, they were impacted quite significantly in this way. Temple worship was re-established under the Persian rule, but it struggles. The priests become more and more politically involved, and they grow in their compromising response. In view of that, the synagogue appears. Now, the synagogue we see in the New Testament is the local level gathering and the teaching that takes place. And when these two, when, the, when the, the synagogue rises up, we see a difference between the Pharisees who are connected to the synagogue and we see the Sadducees who are connected to the temple. 
The Sadducees connect themselves to wealth and power, both with Greek and Roman role, and the Pharisees are connected to the synagogue and they become the local teachers. They ask much more of the people. They are very demanding, highly moral, and they were the ones who really got in the face of Jesus. Then another group rises called the Sanhedrin. They do not, uh, uh, they were a ruling council of Jews that although Rome was in charge, they basically took it upon themselves to lead civil law amongst God's people. And then there's another group known as the scribes. They don't really connect to the politics of the time, but they actually were really involved in the preservation of the Hebrew scriptures. I've just about lost you all, but it's okay. We're, we're back. Why does all of this matter? What, what does all of that have to do with the fact that at the right time? Well, the thing is, after turning a 400-year-long page, we see that when we come to the New Testament, the gospel had come in the most precise and widely understood language ever, Greek. Under the most ideal circumstances, through Roman um, enforced peace, people were hungrier than ever for freedom for the years under Persian, Greek, and Roman rule. And the gospel could get to more places than ever before on all the roads that the Romans had built, connecting the entire world at that point. Galatians 4 verse 4 now hits differently. When the time had fully come, the world was ready for the Messiah. John Nelson Darby, old theologian, famously said that God's ways are behind the scenes when he talks about the 400 years of silence. But he's moving the scenes that he is behind. When the set time had fully come, when God had moved all scenes necessary, the arrival of hope breaks through as three shepherds look up into the sky and they hear the sound of heaven stating, that the Messiah is born, that hope has arrived. Why did God take so long to send Christ? He was preparing to speak his greatest and most powerful word to mankind, Jesus. A long and distinct pause would add emphasis to the monumental revelation of Christ. John Piper writes, he says that the time leading up to Christ was the most suitable, the most appropriate, the most effective way to get the world ready for the Messiah. As we read on in Galatians 4, we see it says, when the time set had fully come, God sent his son. Why? Verse 5, to redeem those under the law. And what comes to mind when I ponder and look at this 400-year period while God was silent, doesn't it blow your mind that God's people could not get it right? That for 400 years, they could not meet the fulfillment of God's law. And that for many years before that, God was patient, He was loving, He was redeeming His people, forgiving His people, and they would do it all over again for years and years and years. And then we come to this for 400 years, God's people could not get it right. That they could not redeem themselves to live righteously before God. To redeem those under the law means that for those 400 years, 
They could not fulfill the law that God had set before them, that they had completely missed the standard of living holy lives before God. Think about that for a minute. That takes us back to 1623, 400 years. That's 11 generations if you, had to be, if you had to live until maybe 70 years old, round about there, for 400 years. And friends, the truth is that no amount of years would be enough for us to fulfill the requirements of God's holy standard. The thing we take away from the 400-year period is that it affirms that if God did not take the initiative of sending His Son, we would be absolutely doomed. If God did not take the first step in sending His Son, if God did not take the initiative of breaking His silence, you and I would be absolutely doomed. But it is because He has taken the first step, because He broke the silence, because He sent His Son, we can be saved. And friends, this is so important for us to grasp because the law referred to here, as I said, is God's perfect and moral standard for all people at all times that we are required to meet. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Amplified Version goes on to say that we are continually falling short that wherever God's standard is up here, we will never be able to reach it because we continue to sin. We continue to fall short and we do not meet the requirement of God's holy law. And our result is what Paul says in Romans 6.23. Our result for not meeting the requirement of God's law for the wages of sin is death. What we deserve, what we are or, or the rightness that we receive actually for not meeting God's law is death and death on a cross. Eternal separation from God. But God took the initiative. But God sends His Son. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God took him who knew no sin to be an offering for our sin. Why? So that you could be made right through Christ, be made right before God. And we are made righteous before God by the redemption that is in Jesus and in Jesus alone, what Angela was saying. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. And His death on the cross and His resurrection from the graves gifts eternal life for those who believe. Friends, our hope during Christmas is not how wonderful our Christmas trees look, although they're lovely. It's not how many presents we can buy or the sadness that creeps because we can't afford presents. Our hope at Christmas is in the risen Jesus who came and saved your soul. Our hope during Christmas is in the one who has redeemed you from the law. Tim Keller, Tim Keller, he was a Christian author and he's with the Lord now. He says this about Jesus, about Christmas. Christianity is unique among all religions for it is about God's pursuit of us to draw us to himself. How's this? 
in every other religious system, people pursue their God, hoping that through their good behavior, keeping of rituals, good works, or other efforts, that they will be accepted by the God they pursue. At the heart of the Christmas message is the wonderful truth of God's pursuit of every single one of us. As Paul affirms in Galatians 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son to redeem those under the law. Where would you be today if God didn't take the initiative? Seriously, think about that. Where would you be if God didn't send his son? Truth of the matter is, we'd still be striving to earn our salvation and hopelessly falling short. Romans 5, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A world without Christ is a world without hope. When you look upon Christmas and you anticipate the season, is your heart filled with hope that he has come and is coming again? As we celebrate Advent, we find hope in Christ's finished work on the cross, and we also join in a hopeful anticipation that one day he will return and bring us home, and heaven and earth will come together and sing for all time, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is that your hope at Christmas? This realigns our hope away from the circumstantial happiness that we look at in Dubai to the concrete hope that is only in Christ, that those who trust in Him will never be put to shame. So my landing point for you today, as we see that He has come to redeem those under the law, that God took the initiative, my commendation to you today, my commission to you today, is to take the initiative this Christmas. Take the initiative to realign your hope. Take the initiative to display your hope. And take the initiative to share your hope. As you thoughtfully consider what your hope is for this time, I want to ask you, is it on Christ? And I want to remind you what I said earlier. Where you place your hope is vitally important in your experience of joy. If you find yourself disappointed at Christmas, anxious at Christmas, angry at Christmas, you've made Christmas about something else, and it's not about Christ. If you find yourself anxious leading up to Christmas, wanting everything to be perfect, you've made Christmas about something else. And I, I'm not bombarding Christmas. My wife absolutely loves Christmas to the point of irritation, and that's fine. It is beautiful. But let's not make Christmas what it's not. Actually, for believers, when we see the signs of Christmas, it points our eyes upwards that hope has come and one day will come again and take us home. If you put your hope in the right place, if you drop anchor in Him who is unshakable, Romans 10 reminds us of a joy that overflows that those who trust in him will not be put to shame. And I know that there are things happening in families' lives that are just not great. 
and I'm not trying to downplay your situation, but I do know if Christmas had to come and go and your hope was on Christ throughout the time, despite the circumstances in your life, you will remain joyful because your hope is not deferred by circumstances. Your hope is in the one who is steadfast, eternal, and he who promises is faithful. Another way that you can realign your hope this Christmas is get into the Scriptures. Get into the Scriptures. Go and read about the coming of Christ and when He came. If we can please put the next slide up. You can scan this barcode. It's actually a a, a reading plan by Bible Project throughout Advent. Advent is all about shifting our gaze from circumstances and actually onto Christ. There's videos. There's reading plans. It is exceptional work done actually that help you realign your hope onto Christ this Christmas but also was in our weekly email that you can go and have a look at I also want to say this fathers and husbands it is your initiative to lead your family to look at Christ throughout Christmas and I believe that your wife and kids or your family the extent of their hope this Christmas aligning on Christ is based on your initiative to lead your family. Second way, take the initiative this Christmas to display your hope. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to display it. What narrative do you live out that people see where your hope is throughout Christmas time? Are your actions, your finances, and the decisions you make fueling your materialistic fulfillment? You see, we live in such a dangerous city where it thrives on buying one's happiness. But if our hope is in Christ, the endless materialistic purchases fall away as our hearts are set on Him, on Christ, who has redeemed us from the law and will come again to take us home. And thirdly, take the initiative this Christmas to share your hope. For goodness sake, invite your neighbors over for dinner. Get to know their stories and tell them what it is that Christ has done in your life. When you're on the metro, take your earphones out. Share with people your story. Get to know their stories. When you're in spinnies, when you're in the market, take every moment this December to share why your hope is not in the world and in Him who has overcome the world. Can I please call the band up? We're going to land by reading something this morning and we're going to declare our, the arrival of hope in which our, our hearts link onto. Friends, because God took the initiative of sending His Son, we can have a steadfast hope in Jesus. And we can also look forward to His return. As Christmas morning comes and goes, don't allow yourself to get caught up in circumstantial happiness. Realign your hope on Christ. Ponder on the God who took the initiative to send His Son. Spend time in the Scriptures. Can I ask you to please stand with me? In Luke chapter 2, we read about the birth of Jesus. And as we read about His birth, we see something takes place just after that where God revealed to shepherds in a field what has just happened. 
I'm going to put it up on the screen. Oh, there we go. So the time, so while they were there, the time came. The right time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Hope has arrived. Father, we remind ourselves this morning, so overcome by the staggering truth that we would be so doomed without your initiative. Thank you, God, for sending your Son at the right time. Not too early, not too late. At the right time that we could be saved. Father, this Christmas, we realign our hope in its rightful place. We drop anchor in Jesus Christ that those who trust in Him will never be put